Well, good morning, everyone. This is J.B. Hickson with Not By Works Ministries, proclaiming, as always, the clear, accurate, and urgent gospel message. And coming to you again today, not from the tall timbers of Colorado, where we usually are, but we are en route back to Colorado after a very successful and, and fruitful ministry uh, weekend in Lake Charles, Louisiana. So Wendy and I are headed back. Uh, we've got one more, actually two more days of travel, then we'll be back home this weekend. I'll be back in the pulpit at Plum Creek Chapel up in the Denver area. So if you're from that area, come join us on Sunday. Two services there, 8.30 and 10. Uh, or you can live stream the second service, uh, which we live stream that at about 10.15 or so when I get up uh, to speak. But today's Thursday, February the 8th, 2024, and got a wonderful guest that I'm going to be introducing here in just a moment. Joel Skousen is with us. Uh, probably needs no introduction for most of you, but uh, I'll say more about him uh, here in just a moment. We're going to be talking about uh, fomenting World War III, Russia, China, the U.S. deep state, the election, what all's going on as there's so much craziness. How do all these pieces of the puzzle uh, fit together? But uh, before we get to that, just <clears throat> a quick couple of announcements. Don't forget, one week from today is our next uh, live premier member Zoom Q&A. We'll have Mondo Gonzalez on to take your questions. That's for premier members only. Uh, if you're interested in becoming a premier member, it's a small monthly fee. You can cancel at any time. Not only do you get these monthly live Q&As with our guests, but you also get a lot of other additional content uh, that's available only exclusively to our premier members. So you can check that out at notbyworks.org. Uh, we're going to be talking a lot today with Joel about preparedness and why it's important to be aware of what's happening and prepare for it. Uh, we have a free NBW preparedness guide. It's 12 pages. You can get that at our online store. No credit card needed. Just put it in your cart and it'll send you the link to download it. Um, so I encourage you to check out the NBW preparedness guide in the free section of Not By Works. Uh, org. With that, I'm going to get to our verse for the day and then jump right in with Joel because uh, we've got a lot to cover and I want to respect uh, his time. Uh, but he and I were talking before we started recording. First uh, John 4, 1 is, is really the theme verse for my latest book, but it's also a great reminder day to day as we uh, try to separate uh, lies from truth, fact from fiction. Uh, John writes, Beloved, do not believe every spirit but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Well, Joel, uh, it's such an honor to have you with us. I have followed you for over 20 years. You've been a great blessing in my family's life. I uh, learned so much uh, from reading your materials. Uh, if folks want to get in touch with you, they can go to worldaffairsbrief.net. Have I got that right? dot com worldaffairsbrief.com okay thank you sorry i meant to ask you that before we started worldaffairsbrief.com i'll mention that again as we go through uh you've got uh, so many great resources there but if, if you're not a subscriber to the world affairs brief folks by the time this uh, interview is over you're going to want to sign up immediately it is my go-to source, comes out every Friday. I read it with great interest. Uh, it's Joel's uh, studied and expert uh, opinion on uh, kind of what's going on in the world, what it might mean, and what's going on behind the scenes uh, kind of by the, the powers that be. So, Joel, thank you so much for joining us today. Well, thank you. And might also mention that um, my books are sold on my other website, joelskousen.com. And uh, so I have three major books out, Strategic Relocation, North American Guide to Safe Places, which you've read many times, uh, The Secure Home, which is architectural design and construction of high security residences and retreats. Everything about preparedness is 700 pages long with a huge mm. appendix. And then the high security shelter book, which is to, uh, has architectural plans for how to do a shelter, a concealed safe room in an existing basement, which for people who have a basement is the most economical way to get protection in the coming war coming up. Yeah, and we're going to talk about that war. So joelskousen.com, worldaffairsbrief.com. Uh, pick up his books. They're absolutely a, a must-have for anyone's preparedness uh, library. Um, and, uh, and again, you know, uh, just such an honor to have you with us. So let's jump right in. Um, you know, talk to us about the, the coming uh, war. First of all, uh, how do you see things developing? Are we in the end game? Um, I know you're not, you know, you don't have a crystal ball, obviously. You're not here to set dates or make predictions. But, 
you've been studying this a long, long time. You do consulting for some pretty high-end uh, people and uh, companies. And uh, so I really value your perspective on things. Uh, how how do you see things developing? Well, war is inevitable because all three predator centers in the world, Russia, China, and our own uh, globalists, Western globalists, which have been in a long conspiracy to destroy national sovereignty. And uh, they all three want world war. Now, the communists, uh, you know, Russia and China, it's in their DNA to attack and destroy the West. Communism is a godless philosophy. It hates God and it hates uh, Western Christianity. But so do our Western globalists. They're godless as well. Uh, in fact, I am a believer very sincerely because of my research in these three fields that all three predator centers are directed by Satan directly at the very top. Mm. And uh, although we don't know who's really leading the Western globalists at the very top, they, they are always secret. We do know who the major promoters are at the secondary level, the Henry Kissingers, the George Soros, the the big new Brzezinski and uh, you know the Klaus Schwabs of the World Economic Forum, uh, but there are much lower levels of globalism, and in the deep state. Now remember, the deep state is the enforcement arm of the larger globalist conspiracy. The deep state is not the conspiracy in and of itself. These are the lackeys who make sure that that uh, things are covered up under the veil of national security. That uh, you know, if they have to kill people to silence people, uh, they, they do that type of thing. They control the bowels of government, uh, but the they are not the ones who call the shot. In fact, a lot of people who belong to the deep state uh, don't know the whole end game. I don't even think the people in the WEF or the World Economic Forum, which is probably one of the biggest globalist uh, combinations right now, understand the end game because they keep talking about the AI robotic world uh, of total control. And, you know, you wouldn't be promoting that type of thing if you knew that probably within the end of this decade, when Russia and China are ready to take on the West, we're going to have a nuclear third world war preceded by an EMP strike. It'll take down the grid probably for at least a year because we don't stockpile any of the long distance transformers. They're all made in China. So how do you get the grid back up, even if you repair the electronics, if you can't, if you don't have the long distance transformers, you know, long distance telephone or power lines, you know, in the thousands of volts and to make it usable, you've got these truck sized transformers that bring it down to 480, 240 and 120 volts for usable power. But we don't stockpile any of those. So it's going, can you imagine the chaos when there's no food, there's no transportation, there's no gas, uh, you can't get to work. Within three days, the shelves are empty. Um, and, you know, I've I've long suspected, JB, that um, I'm not sure the world is going to fully recover. I'm not sure there's going to be a re restoration after like there was in World War II uh, because of you know, whenever you have this kind of infighting and hatred and rape and pillage going on, it's pretty hard for secular people to learn to forgive and to forget. And remember, you can't do AI, you can't do robotics, you can't do cyber security, you can't do central bank digital currency without internet. And you can't do internet if you don't have electricity. Mm -hmm. And so... This is the key to understanding that this is a game changer. This is a life changing ushering in, I think, to the end times where you start to have the powerful forces try to control people. You know, that's how they justify it. You have a big enough crisis and they offer you a solution that you would not normally accept. Like Americans don't want to get into a new world order and neither do the Brits. Right. But I'll tell you, you give them a third world war where there's no electricity and uh, they want to talk you into joining a militarized global government and who's going to say nay it's like 9-11 steroids because yeah. of deep state operations yeah so yeah wow so much to unpack there so a couple of things let me try to distill this down and reiterate a couple of key points that i don't want folks to miss number one 
the distinction between the top-tier Luciferians, who I believe, and it sounds like you do too, are working at the behest of Satan to try to, to win this cosmic battle that started in the heavenlies when Satan's failed coup attempt took place. He then was kicked out, took a third of the angels, and he's been trying to, to overcome God's creation ever since. He wants this world as his own. So we are headed, and, and I've talked a lot about this in my books, towards a one-world system, uh, one way or the other, ultimately to be ruled by the King of Kings and Lord of Lords himself. But in the interim, uh, Satan's going to have his uh, day in the sun. So, But the deep state are the sort of the... Uh, uh, the, 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 doing the grunt work. They're the ones that are uh, out there that we think of as the enemy. Uh, you know, as you mentioned, those are big new Brzezinski's and Kissinger's and Rockefeller's and all of whom died uh, in the recent past. Um, but there's still people rising up to take their place, the Klaus Schwab's, the George Soros's, people like that. And so many people get kind of trapped into this paradigm of thinking they're the enemy. You know, the progressives are the enemy, and, and to an extent they are, but they're not really where the buck stops. Um, so let's fast forward to the, the war, which you've been talking about is the end game for a while. Um, I, you know, you talk about being preceded by an EMP and then a hot war. I've always thought that it's, it's going to be difficult. It's difficult for me to conceive of the EMP and the, and the grid takedown being nationwide in America. I think it's going to be targeted strikes. So is, in your opinion, do you think there will be still some working technology in the immediate aftermath of, of the strike, or am I optimistic there? Well, in the first place, it takes eight to 10 high-altitude nuclear weapons to take down the entire grid over the country. Okay. Uh, so if it's North Korea with one or two and Iran, their missiles can't reach the U.S. So it's only North Korea, China, or Russia that can throw an EMP strike. And uh, uh, North Korea may have that many weapons. I doubt it right now, uh, since their nuclear and uh, missile technology is still developing. Certainly Russia and China have plenty of uh, firepower to throw up eight or 10. And the point is, why throw up one or two and do a target if you leave a good deal of the nation, un, uh, you know, and, and the military is ra relatively hardened against EMP, so they can still strike back. A lot of people ask me, why not just do an EMP? Why, why throw a nuclear strike? Well, in the first place, an EMP doesn't take down the military. Cheyenne Mountain, for example, in Colorado Springs, south of you, was uh, shut down for two years to make everything EMP proof. Hmm. That's what they were doing in Cheyenne Mountain as well as other places. And so they can respond and uh, they'll know, of course, where the missiles came from. We can track that. So remember, I'm predicting that it's gonna be a nuclear strike by Russia and China with an appropriate trigger event uh, on military bases only and, and uh, missile fields, not cities per se. They really don't wanna destroy the infrastructure because you know both Russia and China depend on Western aid and trade and technology to because communism never produces that kind of stuff. Um, and uh, so I think they want to blackmail the West into submission by neutering your military. And that's what our globalists want, because how else do you talk Americans into joining a military government as long as we've got the premier military in the world? But if it's taken down, if it's decapitated, our leaders can come out of their bunkers and say, oh, we didn't know this was happening, which is a lie. Right. Uh, they, they will know what's happening. They have spies in both camps and they have satellites and track. Uh, I've talked in my World Affairs Brief for many years and probably one of only two people in the United States that continue to warn about this, about Presidential Decision Directive 60, PDD 60, mm -hmm. signed in 1997, instructing our missile forces to absorb a nuclear first strike and then retaliate afterwards, to which General Butch Neal of the Marine Corps responded, retaliate with what? Mm -hmm. Well, we do have 14 ballistic missile submarines, but only no more than a third to a half at the most are outside of ports. And there's only two ports and they'll be targeted. Uh, Kings Bay, Georgia and Bangor, Washington, uh, major nuclear targets. It will take multiple underground hits of nuclear weapons to, hit, to destroy those bases. But... Um, and, and the warheads on uh, the uh, SLBMs, uh, the missiles, are not big enough to hit 
underground targets. So you won't be able to take out Yamantul Mountain, the big underground city where the Russians have prepared uh, not only storage facilities, but missile production facilities. You won't be able to take that out and many other bunker type systems in China where most of their missiles are road mobile out of tunnels, some 3000 miles of tunnels that they've got, which won't be able to hit by those submarines. So it's a rather complex situation as a former military officer. I've, I know a lot about the tactics and strategies uh, involved here, but I can tell you that it's, it's gonna be bad and mm -hmm. it's going to be, uh, I just don't know why they wouldn't use, if you're gonna do a, a nuclear strike to decapitate the West, you're gonna, think, try to uh, uh, create as much confusion as possible and as much hardship on the people so that they are more amenable to the blackmail of, yeah, we better give in. We don't have any electricity. We need it. Yeah, we need the new world order to rescue us. That's what a lot of these globalists have been openly saying. Kissinger, Rockefeller, others, they've been saying, look, uh, today you can't conceive of Americans, you know, jumping on board a one world government. But if there were some crisis that brought us to our knees, then, of course, we would willingly uh, get on the proverbial trains. And I think that's it's the Hegelian dialectic going back to Friedrich Hegel, uh, you know, create a problem for which they've already got a solution. They just need a, a reaction that causes their solution to be what we ask for. So so that's, that's I think, what's going on. But yeah, I've talked a lot about PDD-60, and I get sometimes some pushback from folks who claim that that's no longer in force, uh, but you're saying it's still very much a, a, a defining a document today? Well, I have done all the research I can, and there's no indication at all that it, it was ever repealed. Uh, the the movement right now to do a nuclear posture review with Biden is interesting because Bruce Blair, one of the big disarmament people in the United States, who's for total nuclear disarmament, says, you know, what we really need is to remove launch on warning. Hmm. And I wrote back to him and I said, well, Bruce, it's already gone. Have you forgotten about PDD-60? And he said, what's that? <laughs> and... You know, Craig Cernillo of Arms Control Today, another big disarmament outfit, is the only reason that we know about PDD-60, because in 1997, the Washington Post came out and said, oh, don't worry about this new nuclear posture review because we can still launch on warning. And so he had to come out publicly in the November issue of Arms Control Today, and you can still find it on the internet. It's still there in armscontroltoday.org. Go to the archives, November 1997. You can read his article. No, you can't. And he let the cat out of the bag. And I know he knows because he helped write PDD-60. Hmm. You know, yeah. presidents don't do these things. Yeah, for those who may not know, just to, to, to make it very clear, the, the directive basically changed instead of launch on warning. In other words, if we if our systems indicate that an enemy nation has launched a nuclear ballistic missile, we would normally respond. Instead, they've now issued sort of a somewhat of a stand down order. Uh, and, and basically, it's you can only respond on impact. Am I saying that right? No, absolutely correct. And the key about launch on warning is that you see the one who launches second takes all their missiles into the air and their missiles hit empty silos. Hmm. And our missiles are can be retargeted in, in route and they can hit live targets. So the one who launches second wins the nuclear first strike exchange, hmm. not the one who launches first. Now, this is very important. Now, uh, my explanation for why Bruce Blair and the the disarmament community doesn't know about this anymore is because it's, first of all, it's top secret. Number two, they've never discussed it. In fact, in 1998, when I went on Art Bell and Coast to Coast, I talked about it. And, and only recently is a, a couple of other people after reading my material began to talk about it. But the government has never come out and said, oh, no, no, there's no PDD-60. We've we removed that and said, you know, it's a big deal. Uh, the If they removed PDD-60, the disarmament community would have a fit. And so I'm just saying the reason they've kept it secret, the reason they don't even discuss it, I believe, with the nuclear missile forces who still practice launch on warning, is they don't want it out. In fact, I got back from the grapevine that... Uh, 
the Russians and Chinese who read my material as well don't believe me. Hmm. They don't. They think that it's just it was a falsehood that they put out to to so that Russia and China, you know, would would think it would be easy to strike. But they don't believe me. Hmm. They do think that the U.S. is still going to launch on morning now. Yeah. Nobody really knows for sure. We're dealing with a secret combination of power who hides everything. But I can tell you this, that when the nuclear suitcase gets used by the president to telegraph a launch warning, it goes through three other nodes of communication. And the globalists in the military, and believe me, all the military generals at the top now are woke. Mm -hmm. And if they're on to PDD-60, it just won't get, the message just won't get to the missile forces. And one thing that was also removed during PDD-60 was the alternate launch code so that if you were actually under strike, the, the submarines could launch even without the White House codes. But that was removed in PDD-60. Mm-hmm. So yeah, this is a very serious situation. It is. They're setting setting the stage up. So timeline-wise, in my second book of the latest three books, I have a chapter called The Luciferian Timeline. Uh uh, talking about 2025, I, I, I mentioned how Alice Bailey, uh, who started the Lucifer Publishing Company with her husband back in the, I think it was the 30s. Uh, but anyway, she claimed to be channeling a demon, uh, Master DK, and wrote 10,000 pages back in the 30s and 40s, most of which were published posthumously. And 15 times in her writings, and this was, again, almost 100 years ago, she mentions the year 2025 as uh, sort of the final divine council and this, from Satan's perspective, the, the kind of the time that he's he's targeting. And so, so many other pieces of evidence and pieces of the puzzle that seem to be coming to culmination here around this decade. And I, I, I overlay that with what you've been warning about for some time about this decade. Of course, I always point out it doesn't mean it's going to happen because God is the ultimate arbiter of the timetable and and we don't have the mind of God. But certainly it, it's helpful to know the enemy's blueprint. So from a timetable perspective, you it sounds like you really do believe that this is a critical decade that potentially as soon as the end of the 2020s, we could find ourselves in a different world. Well, I... I don't know precisely when, and we're dealing with multiple conspiracies here. And not only is Satan there, God is ultimately in charge. Mm -hmm. So even if Satan wants to throw a strike, he has other, God has other agendas too. Like he may want to give us a little more time to prepare. He may want to have a little more time for, you know, many multiple purposes at test here that only God, you know, as the story of Job talks about, Satan has to go to God to finally get permission. to attack someone in a large way, especially someone who's been really righteous like Job was. And so um, Satan isn't fully in control. Now, what I have said is that I don't think Russia, first of all, uh, Russia cannot strike the West with nuclear weapons alone. As I've said in the World Affairs Brief, he doesn't have the conventional military capacity to occupy Eastern Ukraine totally, let alone Ukraine, let alone the uh, East, uh, Eastern Europe, let alone all of Europe. Mm-hmm. He has to wait for China to be ready because China does have the manpower to occupy. And that's the delimiting factor. So Putin can wave his hand and threaten nuclear weapons all he wants, but it's a bluff. Uh, he just can't do it. Now, China, on the other hand, isn't ready right now. Otherwise, they probably all would have already would have gone after Taiwan. But you see, Joe Biden went off script on the Taiwan issue when he said that the U.S. would intervene if China tried to. And then the White House immediately tried to correct him. Mm -hmm. He went off script again and said we would intervene in another uh, interview. Uh, And the White House has downplayed that. But what that did, you see, we had the one China policy before Biden went off script stating, you know, we admit that China's, China's part of uh, uh, Taiwan is part of China, and therefore we want to. We just want to make sure it's a peaceful transition. Well, so the Chinese used to think oh, it's a slam dunk. The U.S. is not going to intervene. We can take it at will. But now they're not so sure. Hmm. You see, now they've been destabilized. Now both the Chinese and the and Putin know that Biden isn't running the country. 
Uh, in fact, he told Tucker Carlson that in his interview there that, uh, you know, we all know that Biden isn't running the country, but the people who are running the country, which is the deep state, um, under the direction of the larger globalist conspiracy, um, are giving ambivalent messages now. And they know now the U.S. public expects them to defend Taiwan and to intervene. So China fully expects that if they attack Taiwan, it will trigger World War III because they'll get into a fighting match with the U.S. And to make that even more sure, Kim Jong-un of North Korea, the dictator, has said, if the U.S. intervenes to stop China from taking Taiwan, we will intervene on China's behalf and strike South Korea and Guam and Hawaii. Hmm. Now, that guarantees that that trigger event, Taiwan, or if Kim Jong-un should go after South Korea even before Taiwan, it still triggers World War III because China is the one that runs North Korea. They won't strike unless China gives the go-ahead. And China won't give the go-ahead until they're ready to take on the West. And I project timeline that that's at the earliest, about the middle of the next decade. Now, it could come earlier. Anytime after 2025, people ought to be prepared as best they can for this potential war. Even Xi Jinping has said, by 2027, we'll be a world-class military. We'll be ready in 2027. Now, he made a, a difference. He said, 2043, in another speech or 2049 but i think that was disinformation to put the east at west that uh, the west at ease mm -hmm. so that they've got more time but i think if anything it will be a surprise attack um, but remember china and russia are not going to go to war with the west without a trigger event they want to make it appear as if they're taking down the bully of the world and that's the image we created by intervening improperly in Iraq and Afghanistan after 9-11, blaming them for what the deep state did, because 9-11 was a total deep state operation. Yeah, no doubt. From hiring the uh, the terrorists from Saudi Arabia and loading the buildings with explosives, they didn't come down because of an air. <laughs> and um, in, in any case, um, this is the picture that I'm outlining, is that watch for that trigger. If you see the invasion of Taiwan or a war in North in North versus South Korea will be in World War III, in my opinion, in two to three weeks. That gives you enough time if you're still in the cities, and I don't recommend it, but if you're still in the cities because of your job, it's time to get out. Yeah, so um, so the trigger event you, you've been saying for a while, and I, I think it's wise, all eyes should be on North Korea uh, in that area, not this isn't going to be something that emanates from Iran and Israel and Russia. You don't you don't see that being the big threat right now. I don't because you see, Russia threatened to intervene if we attacked Iraq. They didn't do it, but they were there to photograph and 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 take all the intelligence they could to learn about our weapon systems so they could develop electronic countermeasures. Measures they even practiced shooting up some of our tanks with experimental uh, ammunition. And they, they did kill an Abrams tank in there using a, a Russian experimental uh, dart type weapon. But um, I don't think they're going to intervene uh, to save Iran. And the U.S. and Israel want Iran out of the way because it's the only Muslim country that is self-sufficient in weapons production. And they can't tolerate that. They want the Arab countries uh, to be you know, slaves of the deep state. And like Saudi Arabia is now dependent on the Western arms as well as um, many of the other incidents. But it's dividing now into a block. But I still don't think that there's a trigger event that justifies going after the U.S. Uh, uh, without China being involved. And I just don't think China's going to get uh, into either Ukraine or into the Iran-Israeli war. So they're going to try to coax the U.S. into some kind of response, which is then viewed as an aggression and then used to justify a, a response from China and Russia against us, right? Yes. And, and the reason that South Korea is a real trigger event is that we have 26, 27,000 troops there. So we have to intervene if mm. Kim Jong-un attacks South Korea. We cannot hold back like we can in Israel and just give aid. We can't hold back as in Ukraine and just give aid. We have to intervene. 
in South Korea. And I suspect that the U.S. might have to use tactical nukes in Korea just because the overwhelming military force of the North Koreans, uh, I mean, they've got enough artillery tubes, 60,000 of them, they can level Seoul in a week. And, uh, uh, you know, they got 1.5 million to 2 million man men. Now, they're not as well trained, but South Korea only has 50,000. Mm. added to our 26 27,000 that's overwhelming numbers yeah. so there's a grudge match uh, kim jong un has now gone on a full war fitting a lot of people are saying it's imminent i don't think it's imminent i think it's going to be tied to when china is ready to take on the west huh. um, well so you mentioned 911 earlier that that was what woke me up uh, unfortunately it was 7 years after the fact uh, i was blinded like so many uh, although there were experts and you know top engineers and scientists and pilots and others right from the get go that saw through the ruse there that the official narrative is is not accurate um, but uh, I'm reminded of the comment you made earlier about that fellow talking about PDD-60, and he said, PDD what? Well, there was that that judge in New York City that said, building what? When one of the defense attorneys talked about building seven, yeah. uh, because, you know, you had, you had three high-rise buildings. Building seven of the World Trade Center complex would have been the highest building in, I think it's something like 33 states. I mean, it was a tall building. Um, and yet three of them fall down at free fall speed into their own footprint when only two of them were hit by planes. And never mind the fact that jet fuel can't get hot enough to melt steel. And if you did have a traumatic structural failure, you're going to have an asymmetrical collapse, not a, you know, uh, you know, uh, falling into its own footprint and pulverized, pulverized concrete. So many uh, scientific things. That's why you have thousands of uh, pilots that have signed on to a 9-11 truth, thousands of engineers, literally thousands. And even right after the fact, other government world leaders and other governments around the world, they were they were stunned at how easily Americans bought the narrative because they knew better. So uh, we don't have time to to get into 9-11, but I just I wanted to comment since you brought that up, that that is, as I talk about in the introduction of Spirit of the Antichrist, Volume 1, that is really what sort of caused me to go down the rabbit hole. And I was so angry that I had been lied to about that and bought it hook, line and sinker that it made me ask, what else have I been lied to? And that started what amounts to now on a 17, 18 year journey into uh, you know seeking truth about things. So let's shift gears now to the current uh, sort of political climate. What are we to make of Donald Trump? How does he fit into all of this? Well, remember that Donald Trump was never a conservative before he ran for president. He didn't know any conservatives. He was friends with Bill and Hillary Clinton and all the players in New York, et cetera. But Donald Trump is very good at reading the populist tea leaves uh, and seeing that, you know, if I'm going to run for president, there's obviously nobody's really defending the conservative point of view. And so he started his Make America Great, Great campaign. Now, his administration was doomed from the beginning, despite his good intentions, because he didn't know how to tell who was deep state and who isn't deep state. Now, the only reason I can tell is that I am an expert in conspiracy. I've studied all the conspiracies from the uh, globalists giving $20 million to the Bolsheviks to fund their revolution, to cutting off military aid to Chiang Kai-shek so that the communists could win in China. Well, we did all of that. This conspiracy has been going on a long time. But you see, I knew that... Um, James Comey was deep state because he was involved in the 9-11 cover-up. And so was Robert Mueller, who was involved in the Russia, you know, election collusion hoax. These people were staff members on the uh, committee to cover up for the 9-11 and, and project the narrative that it was Muslim terrorists and airplanes that brought down those buildings. Uh, and so I knew that Christopher Ray was also deep state because he was also involved in 9-11. I mean, this was a club way back then. And that's how they tell who they can trust to bring into government is who they've worked with in the past in conspiratorial efforts. And, you know, uh, Neil Gorsuch, which uh, Trump nominated to the Supreme Court, has turned out to be a pretty good conservative justice. But Brett Kavanaugh uh, is deep state. 
Now, mm -hmm. even though he's a conservative justice, he was second in command to Ken Starr in the Vince Foster murder yeah. cover up. I was just going to mention that. Yeah, he helped cover up the Vince Foster uh, murder. Yeah, he was second in command. He was in charge of degrading the witness, the only witness that proved that it couldn't have been suicide. That was Patrick Knowlton, who was parked in the Fort Mercy parking lot when the government said that Vince Foster drove his Honda up there and then went into the park and committed suicide. He was there to say that Honda wasn't there. In fact, there were two or three big S black SUVs glaring at him, giving him threatening looks because he was persisting in sitting there and watching what was going on. But it was Brett Kavanaugh that was in charge of discrediting that witness. So Brett Kavanaugh had to know what he was doing. And sure enough, you know, when you have a blackmailed Supreme Justice, John Roberts, who Votes conservative when it's convenient, but boy, when a critical issue like Obamacare comes up or gay marriage, he switches sides and votes with the deep state and the establishment. Mm -hmm. So does Brett Kavanaugh. Now, Amy Cohen Barrett just, you know, went on that side and, you know, she's kind of a establishment, uh, do anything in the establishment. She's never voted in any of her judicial rulings against big corporations or the government. I don't think she's a knowing conspirator, though. I think she's just easy to talk into certain things. Um, and she voted with Roberts to allow the uh, federal government to cut the razor wire in uh, in Texas. Yeah, that but was... That's another, that's another complex story. But what I'm saying is the important thing for your listeners to know is that even though Donald Trump has good intentions, um, He's highly manipulable. He's not deep state. He's not a controlled entity, but he's easily manipulated. You can flatter Donald Trump and get him almost to do anything. That's what Xi Jinping found out at his first meeting in Mar-a-Lago. You flatter this guy and he's putty in your hands. And so after that meeting, what did Trump say? Oh, Xi and I are good friends and he'll do whatever he wants. And Putin would brag that I could have stopped the Ukraine war just with one phone call to Putin. Well, he doesn't understand conspiracy. He doesn't understand satanic control over these types of leaders. So he goes out with a vow that I'm going to stop North Korea from developing new nuclear weapons, either by diplomacy or by nuclear or by military power if I have to. So he gets him talking with Kim Jong-un, who just got off the telephone with Xi, saying, flatter him, flatter him, and he'll be putty in your hands. And he was. So he walked away thinking that Kim Jong-un and I are best friends. And the Chinese and the North Koreans are just laughing all the way to the bank. And yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I, yeah, I, there's no question that Trump, um, you know, is 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 a you know master salesman, and he he can you know he's manipulatable, and he knows how to manipulate people. I just have a hard time, given his background, um, you know, making billions in the porn and gambling industries, essentially uh, being a part of that dark underworld. And, and some of the people that I've talked to that, that know him personally just, you know, paint a completely different picture than what the average conservative has bought into the MAGA types. I just have a hard time believing that he's not on some level controlled. I mean, I feel like um, I, I agree. I've, I've said all along, he's not part of the Luciferian elite. He's not deep state. He's, but I think I wouldn't go so far as to say he's just a naive guy that believes his advisors. I think there's they've got a little more on him than that so that when push comes to shove, uh, like with the vaccine, for example, they can they can get him to do things and keep pushing things that even Trump really, I think, deep down knows better. Is that is that possible? It's possible. I mean, they have the ability to threaten your children. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, threatened to expose. And, you know, Trump's got a multitude of sins. And one interview, he says, you know, I don't relate to the word repentance. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, I tell you, that should have told conservatives something, you know, that, uh, you know, he's got a chronic bad judgment in his conscience, but good enough still that he can sense right and wrong in terms of the general direction of the country. And, you know, he did a lot of good things. He did uh, build you know, more wall. He did do this marvelous return to Mexico, a stay in Mexico, which was great for slowing down those things. But uh, you've got yeah. to remember that, you know, uh, he was snookered by the uh, North American or the, uh, what is it, the, the Canada-Mexico agreement uh, 
that he was going to revise. It turned out to be the TPP in 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 sheep's clothing. Rehashed, yeah. And, and he bragged about it. That's the problem, you know. Donald Trump will not; his ego will not let him admit error. Everything is a success. The vaccine—that was a great thing that he championed. And even now. He's gotten so much pushback from his supporters, but he's starting to downplay that a little bit. But he's never going to admit I was wrong about the vaccine. Right. It's deadly. It's deadly. Yeah, no doubt. So let's talk about the election. So I've uh, been on record for many years uh, saying that we have selections, not elections. I think ever since we went to the digital vote tabulation, it 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 really you know, it's it's difficult to get a fair election. Um, I, do you agree with that? Do you feel like um, it's mostly a rigged game when it comes to national elections? Absolutely. And rigged, pretty sophisticated. You know, it used to be they did a lot of precinct and voter registration fraud. And even in 2020, they had to do a lot of ballot dumps. It's the first time they went because of COVID, uh, went to this paper ballots, and they just had so much fraud. Uh, uh, I covered all of that in the World Affairs Brief at that time. And, you know, it's interesting that when ballots come through the, the mail system, uh, it gives you a relatively consistent ratio of the Democrat candidate to the Republican. Because it doesn't matter where it comes out of New York City or the, it gets all mixed up together with other mail in rural countries at the postal, the major postal distribution centers. And that's how you get a consistent average. And so when you track those averages where Trump was slightly ahead of Biden and all of a sudden in the wee hours of the morning that every one of the six states, you know, went to a dramatic jump for Biden and, and then it stayed there. Uh, it was, in other words, the ratio stayed the same thereafter, but those ballot dumps proved that they were dumping truckloads of ballots into the system, especially in Georgia and uh, Pennsylvania and other states that showed those dramatic dumps. But the crucial evidence of the loss of the election came from the hack. A computer hacker got into Edison Research Computers. Edison Research is a company owned by another foreign company, which consolidates all the results from states and feeds it to the media. So what you see on your television comes from Edison Research. And he hacked into that and got their entire database and downloaded it for everybody to see, put it on a spreadsheet, and he showed all the votes coming in for Donald Trump, how many were flipped to Biden, hundreds of thousands flipped to Biden. Even in Virginia, he showed that Virginia had a great deal of fraud, and nobody talked about Virginia. It was called early for Biden, but Trump actually won Virginia as well. Mm -hmm. uh, but it showed how many votes actually disappeared for Trump that came in for Trump and weren't even allocated to his end total. And we saw on television one of those in the governor's election of Bashir's in, in, in Kentucky when it showed a flip right there on the screen. It just yeah. happened for, for a second, but you saw a new tally come in and you saw Trump's votes go down by 60,000 and Brazil's go up by that same 60,000 some odd votes. It was an absolute flip right there on the screen and, and somebody caught it and that's why we knew about it. So the key is even though, uh, you know, voter machines can do flipping as well, you vote for Trump and it came out, Hillary Clinton and those types of things happen. That was still a minority compared to the tabulation computer fraud. Mm -hmm. And as long as those tabulation computer uh, computers are tied to the internet, they can be interdicted. And this type of you know fraud can occur. Now, I am not one to say it was Dominion Voting Machine who has gone on and sued Mike Lindell and, and some of Trump's attorneys over this and won major judgments. But I can say that somebody intervened, didn't have to be... Uh, you know, Madison research, but um, somebody's intervening and changing, and that hasn't changed because it has been so uniformly debunked by the media that it's a lie that there was an election fraud. It's still there. Why won't they do the same thing? Now, it's very sophisticated. They won't do it in every state. They don't want to make it look, you know, it's especially difficult if Biden is in the polls really behind uh, to make it suddenly come above. And that's why it's interesting that in the 2020 election, they stopped doing exit polling. Now, exit polling are a good check on fraud. 
because when exit polls come out are very accurate, talking to people directly as they come out from the polling, the polling stations, and they suddenly didn't do any exit polling because they didn't want people to have anything to cross-reference the fraud with. Yeah. So uh, the, the big issue here now that's going to make it, I mean, Biden is so unelectable now. I don't think his true approval rating is, uh, I still think it's in the 30s, in the mid-30s, not the, I'm, I'm sorry, the, the 20s, mid-20s, not the mid-30s, like they're, they're saying. Uh, but I think the the issue of Robert F. Kennedy being in there will be like Ross Perot, make mm -hmm. a difference to, that won the election for Bill Clinton over George H.W. Bush, who was deep state, by the way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, two deep state people. And Ross Perot, by the way, he was totally supported by the Democratic Party. So they were definitely keeping him in the race to make sure that the Republican didn't win. But I think Kennedy will take a lot of the independent votes that don't like Biden and would go to Trump, but like Kennedy better. And Kennedy does understand at least the, the pharmaceutical conspiracy. He does understand that the deep state killed his uncle and his father, uh, but he is a democratic socialist in all the other aspects too. But he, he will make it difficult to detect the kind of fraud that they'll throw. But I can guarantee your listeners, they won't allow Donald Trump to win. Yeah, so that let's okay. That there there I want to talk about that. So, but back to the digital vote tabulation. That's that's what I mentioned uh at the start of this segment, you know, and I've been talking about Dominion forever, but it's not Dominion. Dominion is sort of a metonym for all of the digital tabulation. Once you've gone digital for the tabulation, they just announce the winner and with good forensic science you can go back in or if they make a mistake like they did in the case of Kentucky you can you can catch it but it's like you said it's very complex and nothing's changed and so as we head into the 2024 election it's stunning to me how many people saw through the fraud in 2020 and yet are right back on the yay Trump, yay Republican, we can win this, we just got to beat them at the ballot box, and nothing's changed. I mean, that's the de very definition of insanity when you keep doing the same thing and expect a different result. Um, so you you are confident that they're not going to let Trump in. Uh, what are some scenarios that could play out? Are they going to remove him from the ballot? Are they going to, the Supreme Court going to rule he can't? be president? Uh, is he just going to lose or they steal the election from him again? How do you see it playing out? Well, the appeals court just ruled that Trump does not have immunity, but in essence, they ruled him guilty of insurrection, and that's why he can't be immune. Had they hypothesized that we don't know, and therefore we can't rule, that would have been the appropriate ruling. He is, is immune if he's within his power challenging the results that he thought were uh, and there was evidence that he thought were fraudulent. He's in, within his realm, so you can't be. He does have immunity, but if you're going to claim that he knowingly caused an erection to knowingly interfere and knowing that it was false, then he doesn't have immunity. So they hmm. ruled that he was guilty before a hmm. trial. And now, one thing I will say, I think you can still run for president if you're in jail uh, with a felony. People have long since. Uh, actually won elections from jail. It doesn't prohibit you from uh, from running. They'll try to do that, but all of this will make Trump even more popular. Still, the bottom line is uh, they're trying to discredit him. They're trying to get felonies, but the Supreme Court, we're going to have to watch. You know, uh, Judge Roberts uh, could uh, turn, and so did Ka could Kavanaugh or Amy Barrett, any number of these weak conservatives could turn and do the deep state bidding if they want to remove him in that. But I suspect they'd rather have Trump run and lose by fraud, secret fraud, so as to get him out of the way, period. Uh, I think that's their preferred uh, way of doing things. And are, is he going to run against Biden? Do you think Biden's going to last the year? No, I, I can't imagine. <laughs> but, you know, there's talk of Obama, Michelle Obama, you know, who's a know nothing, uh, you know, and, and there's even talk about Obama's running the Biden, Biden, Biden presidency called the Biden presidency, but he's not. <laughs> Obama was mostly watching television. He was run and a puppet just like Biden was a puppet. Um, no, the deep state runs our government right now. And, uh, you know, this tragic case of the immigration, illegal immigration through the border is just 
they're not going to take no for an answer. And as long as we argue about this thing, the millions are still just pouring through the border. Mm -hmm. And there's some bad people coming in. Uh, and it's not just terrorists. It's just a lot of, um, especially the ones from Africa, I really worry about. Uh, yeah, it seems like... Yeah, it seems like they're really uh, building a an army, so to speak, for for the the coming civil war. Um, I mean, I think that's another ar weapon in the the arsenal of the the uh, conspiracy is that they want to help bring America down by having us fight amongst ourselves. And so, a lot of the folks I'm talking to are are like you. They see Trump losing, uh, but they see that triggering a Civil War. I've even talked off record to some MAGA types, and and I'm everybody that listens to our program knows I'm not a big fan of Trump, but uh, I respect those who hold that view, and I'll talk to them. And they're they've told me if they steal it from him again, we're going to take up arms. Now I've discouraged them from doing that. I don't think that's a smart choice, but that's where a lot of people find themselves. Is look, you know, we we can't uh, continue to allow the deep state to steal elections. Uh, and that's, by the way, would be playing right into the hand of the, the global elites would be to, to, to start some type of civil war, don't you think? Well, not there, there's no sentiment among conservatives for a civil war, except only a small radical fringe, period. I'll, I'll say it clearly. OK. And they're not enough to do anything except to justify the government's claim that we're all domestic terrorists. They'll mm -hmm. paint us all with a broad brush. Hmm. And so that's just what they want. They can't usher in a civil war, but they can go to every one of these militia types are infiltrated by the government. Mm -hmm. And they will try to gin up a, a little mini armed revolution, just enough to say, you see, we told you that the, the right wing is our number one enemy. And uh, But uh, I don't see an actual civil war. Now, I do worry about the numbers of Chinese that are coming in. Not that they can actually take over the country, but believe, but believe me, they will form. And I think the the fact that China's behind this, bought up hotels from Ecuador through Mexico to exclusively for these Chinese migrants to to stay at in a, a path to the United States, which is paid for by our own government and by the UN. Uh, this is to create a fifth column so that they can do sabotage and other types of things uh, when war starts. But they're not going to actually take over with even 100,000 Chinese infiltrated among people. It takes much more than that. So uh, back to Biden, do you think there, there's any chance they'll try to replace him? Or are we looking at a Trump-Kennedy-Biden election this fall? You know, if they run Biden, it's because they're so confident they could run any teddy bear and get him elected. Uh, it's like they're thumbing the nose at, look what we can do. We can put a senile dementia ridden person <laughs> in twice as a president without even campaigning. Uh -huh. I mean, Biden would get on national television and say, you know, the reason why we've got this problem on the border is because of Donald Trump. He's responsible. How is Donald Trump responsible? Yeah, <laughs> It's just, I mean, this guy, I mean, I don't know who writes that script, but this is just laughable to everyone to blame that on Donald Trump. But they could change it in the, the convention. There could be a, a dramatic thing. But, you know, I don't see any signs right now. It's almost like, you know, we're so confident that what we can do, we're just going to thumb our nose at the people and run anybody we want and, and yeah. make the results. Yeah, exactly. It just shows you how confident they are in the fraud that, you know, yeah. don't worry, we've got this. We could put, you know, a corpse uh, yeah. on the ticket and he'd still win. And, and by the way, I'm not entirely sure they haven't done that, but, uh, but anyway, um, all right, we've got about five minutes left and I want to give some solutions here. So you've written and talked a lot about preparedness. Uh, your book strategic relocation is a must have, uh, it's been a very helpful resource for, for many. I know Wendy and I have benefited from it. Um, how seriously should people take the caution of Proverbs 22.3 that the wise person sees trouble coming and prepares for it? Well, you know, I, I'm one of the pioneers in the movement. I started in 1979 to write my first book, The Secure Home. And, uh, and the reason I got into it, even at, when I was 17 years old, I read my uncle's book, The Naked Communist. And Sure, there were a lot of communists in government, but what I picked up from his book is that on the second floor of the State Department, 
there were a lot of non-communists who were protecting the communists mm. and keeping them and denigrating McCarthy and keeping them from being removed. And then I said, that's the problem. And we found out later, those are the globalists. They use communism. You know, a lot of people talk about, well, the BLM and Antifa, they're communists and the communists are taking over. No, no, communists are not taking over. It's the globalists using communists to break down the social order so they can come in with their milder form of socialism and control. And it's that old Hegelian dialectic, create conflict and solution. And uh, so I think the biggest, as I pointed out in my book, Strategic Relocation, here's two or three basic things that people need to know about their preparedness. Number one, population density is your biggest enemy because when things go south, when there's no electricity or when there's war, any type of crisis, it's like Katrina. Mm. You want to get out of town and get on the freeway? It's going to be a parking lot. You're going to have to walk away from your car. That's not the time. You've got to have advance notice. That's why I encourage people to subscribe to my World Affairs Brief so that they can get advance warning of when this is coming. But even if you can't leave the city because of your job, you must be prepared to get out of Dodge early, not when everybody else sees it and the roads are clogged. Um, and so that means having a retreat, whether it's joining in with family or relatives, somebody who lives out in the rural areas, um, hopefully not on a major thoroughfare because the refugees flowing out will pillage either side of those, those highways when they run out of food and, and things. So getting out of high density populations that should be your major priority. And believe me, a lot of people have been doing this and a lot of the good properties and the good states are being bought up and prices have been rising. When COVID emptied out a lot of California of conservatives in New York, they bought up a lot of the good property that I've been recommending. And so it's not impossible, it's not hard, but it's now more expensive. And the longer you wait, the harder it's gonna get. Yeah. So you, you must not delay because it's inconvenient. Now you think how inconvenient it's gonna be trying to leave once the roads are all clogged and war starting and it becomes impossible and there's no gas and you're having to walk with only the clothes. And now it's really inconvenient. So don't give me the inconvenient argument do it now and, and work on those things. Now, the, the other thing that you've got to do is have, if you've got a retreat or any type of preparedness, you've got to have a concealed safe room to, to, to safeguard your goods. If you don't, it's going to get pillaged. You know, it's just like the Russians coming into Germany and the Germans had to flee and go through eventually every farm five or 10 miles on the road got pillaged because you know refugees were hungry and mm. without food. It's gonna be much worse. Think Mad Max scenario. Yeah. Now, remember that God can inspire you to help. And I do think there will be refuge pockets of, of liberty that the Lord will inspire people to get to in rural areas. But you have to survive the war to be able to get that. And that means relocating. It means having a safe room where you have your valuables and your food storage, because that's really the only thing that you can protect yourself against the collapse of money. And uh, no matter what is it, it's gonna be very difficult for gold and silver to get back into circulation. It's hard for people to recognize what a silver dollar is anymore, or what its value is, or whether it's counterfeit or not. So cash will be king for the first few weeks while it lasts when war starts, but eventually it's, replacing your need for money by stockpiling. And stockpiling isn't any good unless you have a safe place to secure it. And that safe place has to be sealed. Yeah, and, and bartering, bartering with what you've stockpiled. You know, you may yeah. run out of supplies that someone else uh, has and you may have things that they need. Yeah, I remember early on learning, I think it was from you, that a good rule of thumb when you're trying to find a bug out place is at least five miles or more from any major interstate as the crow flies. And a lot of the properties that we would look at before we would go uh, look for them, we would look at them on Google Earth to see, is there a train track nearby? Is there an interstate nearby? Because in a total end of the world as we know it scenario, when when norm, norms have fallen apart and, and marauding mobs are, are you know fanning out, they're only gonna go so far before they sort of give up uh, and you want to be outside that realm of, of 
you know, where people can walk to try to find, uh, try to find food. Um, so one of the things I loved about your book, Strategic, Re Strategic Relocation, and again, folks, you can go to joelscalson.com to purchase the book, but it goes through all 50 states. It ranks each state in a, in a several criteria, 10 or 15 different topics. It ranks them, uh, you know, in, in that or rates them, I guess I should say. And, uh, you know, how do they, how are they on corruption? How are they on taxes? How are they on homeschooling? How are they on, on these different topics? And, but it also kind of gives you some escape routes. It gives you areas of the state that would be less, um, you know, in danger from um, civil unrest and those types of things. Uh, just, I mean, just worth its weight in gold. It's a large book. It's almost like a coffee table size book, a color, a pictures. Uh, folks, you, you definitely need to get that book, it should be your number one manual. There's lots of great resources out there. We've got our short little uh, primer, a, a 12 page uh, preparedness guide with some lists and things to think through scenarios, but uh, highly recommend that uh, that book. Um, and, and you're right, you know, some people are in the metropolitan areas, they have no other option, but you need to think about a escape plan because the people that are ready when something happens and can get out of there quickly are going to be way ahead of the uh, traffic and and going to get be able to get to where their designated uh, rendezvous point is. But those who are reacting to the to the flashbang, like when the FBI throws in the flashbang and you're just stunned for a while and it takes you a while to get your bearings, by then it's too late, right? Well, you know, if you can't leave the cities because of your job, at least you ought to try to relocate to the outskirts of the city uh, so that you're not having to wend your way through the mass of people that you've got a pretty clear uh, way out. And always map your routes out in advance. For example, you don't realize that beltways that surround all metropolitan areas have very few ways to get across that beltway that's not an exit or an entrance to the beltway. But there are one or two in every beltway of underpasses or overpasses that go over that where no entry or exit. So you can get out easily, map those out on Google Earth where they are, and that gives you an escape route that's, uh, that's viable. Well, Joel, it, it, we have so much more we could talk about. I, I'd love to have you back on again and just talk about a few other things uh, on my list. I love getting your perspective. But uh, folks, uh, go to worldaffairsbrief.com. Sign up for his weekly World Affairs Brief. Uh, well worth it uh, to just kind of keep your finger on the pulse of what's happening uh, in the world at large, geopolitically and otherwise. They also have some preparedness tips each week. Uh, and then uh, go to uh, joelscalson.com, pick up the books, uh, particularly strategic relocation. Uh, Joel, any closing thoughts before I wrap up? Well, sometime in a future one, I'd like to go over the Ukraine war situation because I have a unique perspective on, uh, there's a lot of disinformation within the conservative mood about Putin being a Christian and a good guy and uh, now, it's true the Ukrainians are, are corrupt, but my understanding is that the Soviet Union faked their own demise. They faked mm -hmm. the fall of the Soviet Union, and they're in the process of trying to reconstitute that through the invasion of Ukraine. So uh, that needs to be expounded uh, significantly so the conservatives, I mean, Tucker Carlson now has gone totally bonkers about how wonderful Putin is with his interview and uh, he's really been snookered, as most conservatives have and most Republicans, and I'm the only one blowing the whistle, not because I'm pro-Ukraine necessarily, uh, they're all corrupt, but um, we can't let um, this major deception, the fall of the Soviet Union, get past us. It was uh, They faked their own demise. So we can talk about that in a future. Oh, I would, I would love to talk about that. Yeah, absolutely. That was, they didn't, they didn't fall. They just kind of moved into the caves and are waiting for the right next, uh, next move. And I, and I love what you said earlier about uh, how communism isn't the ultimate enemy. I would add Islam is not the ultimate enemy. Look, those religions, those worldviews are bad. They're part of a, a, a satanic system in general. But in the end of the age, at least according to my understanding of God's word, uh, the Antichrist and false prophet are going to preside over a one world religion that brings all religions together. And the Antichrist, Daniel tells us, is going to deny the gods of his father. So he's not going to be a communist. He's not going to be a Muslim. He's not going to be whatever. And I think that's the only way that he's going to be able to get 
all the peoples of the world to come together under one tent as a pluralistic mindset. But along the way, certainly communists, socialists, you know, Muslims and other uh, religions and worldviews are a part of the, uh, the arsenal and uh, certainly a formidable foe. So, well, Joel, thank you so much. We definitely will have you back on. I'll reach out by email and uh, we'll pick a time. But folks, uh, uh, I hope you enjoyed this as much as I did. And, uh, you know, let me close with just a reminder. If you've been listening to this, and I have a feeling this one's going to get forwarded to a lot of people, and uh, maybe you you're not didn't grow up in the church or really don't know much about the Lord or the Bible, we are coming at this subject broadly speaking, from the premise, according to God's Word, that there is a cosmic battle between good and evil, between God and Satan, and that that is trickling over into the realm of time, space, and matter, and that the grand conspiracy consists of Satan, his fallen angels, and human co-conspirators working at his behest to try to de destroy the world and to try to usher in a one-world system and defeat God. And so, if this is all new to you, let me encourage you that... Uh, uh, you can pick up my books, uh, Spirit of the Antichrist. You can get those at notbyworks.org that outline it. But really, none of that really matters. Priority number one has to be your personal relationship with the Lord. And, and the only way that you can be forgiven of sin and have eternal life is by trusting in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who died and rose again for your sins. He paid your personal penalty for sin, the substitutionary atonement. And he paid a debt he didn't know because you owed a debt you could never pay. And if you'll simply trust him in simple childlike faith, you can have eternal life. And I hope you'll do that today. Well, folks, uh, I hope you, you enjoyed the program. Uh, we've got another great podcast coming tomorrow. Lots that we posted earlier this week. So I hope you'll take the time to check out the previous podcast. But until next time, God bless you and have a great rest of the day.